Um, we only have three weeks, three weeks and three more episodes to go in my A to Z of racing tactics. Um, you, some of you will have been waiting for X <laughs> to see what on earth I come up with. Um, I'm not going to sort of shoehorn a xylophone into my racing tactics because I just sim- I would love to be able to think of a way of doing that. Um, but there isn't one <laughs> that I can think of. If you can, let me know on social media. Tweet me. Uh, figure. Tweet me a way that you can work out a xylophone or even better X into your uh, racing tactics series. But anyway, what I'm going to go with is X marks the sweet spot. There, thank you. <laughs> sweet spot is something that uh, I've talked about a few times in this series, actually. The sweet spot of the bunch. The bunch sweet spot or the group sweet spot. So forget all about sweet spot training, that, that kind of training zone beneath uh, threshold or lactate threshold, uh, functional threshold, whatever you want to call it. So sweet spot is sometimes talked about as being a zone of training. Forget that for the moment, okay? Um, also, it's used in terms of <laughs> tennis and golf, in terms of being that point at which you hit the ball, for instance, in which you get the absolute perfect flight and strike on the ball. In a way, that's slightly more useful when thinking about the bunch sweet spot. Let me define it for you. For an individual rider, the bunch sweet spot is the optimal place to be positioned within whatever group you're in at that time, to be, and here's the list, projected from the wind, not being expected to do more work than you want to do, but ready to react. Okay, let me go through that again. Protected from the wind, so tucked in, not on the front of the peloton or the group you're in, but not being expected to come through at any point and do more work than you want to, unless your aim is to be going through on the front and doing some work. You might be doing that for a team, for instance, or for another rider. And thirdly, ready to react and that's the crucial one okay it's an incredibly difficult bunch position to hold but i would argue and i'm going to try and argue this with my examples today because i'm going to give you six examples from a world tour race from last year i would argue that in any one race at any one time in any one group there is probably a sweet spot a position in which you are ready to react you're protected from the wind and you're not necessarily being expected to do so much the, the thing about not being expected to do so much, what I mean by that is, particularly if you are at the front near the peloton, no, near the front of the peloton, sorry, um, and there are riders doing turns on the front to either chase something down or just working on the front a little bit in order to um, thin things down within the bunch, for instance, there'll come a point where the riders in front of you will look to you to do something. In a way, in that scenario, in a bigger group, the sweet spot is probably two or three wheels off the back of the last person who's actually working. If you sit on the back of the last person who's going through and working, doing turns on the front, then inevitably at some point, someone's going to look around to do some work and then you get into an argument (laughs) and you're either going to be forced through or you're just going to make a bad name for yourself. So the clever rider who finds the X marks the sweet spot will probably sit on the second or third wheel behind the rider who's the last person that's working. As long as there's not too many riders in front of you, you are then in a position where you are ready to jump on something if it goes, to move up if gaps open up. Beyond that and further down, there's probably a second X marks the bad spot of of somewhere you just don't want to be near the back where gaps keep opening up. Um, I'm actually going to use a really good example, I think, today um, of the three days of Dipana, which was the final world tour race in last year's 2020. This is uh, last year's very unusual rehash of a a season post, uh, well, during the, the, the COVID pandemic, of course. Um, a lot of the early season classic races were moved to the end of the year. And Three Days of Dipana was one of those that survived. It ran in October 
and it was the final world tour men's sorry I should say men's world tour race um, of the year and uh, I was lucky enough to be commentating on it for Eurosport GCN so what I'm actually going to do is talk you through six different uh, points in the race from if you like from earlier in the race right the way through to the finale uh, and give you a bit of an insight into um, apologies for that into uh, who was in what I perceived to be the bunch sweet spot and when and why in certain scenarios if you've not watched the race back catch it on the uh, the GCN app or look at the, uh, the Eurosport highlights on YouTube in fact, what I'm going to be talking you through is the Eurosport highlights that are available on YouTube as well. So look them up. It's widely regarded as, well, some people call it the windiest race of all time. Um, certainly in last year's World Tour, it was easily the windiest race. It's run, for those of you who don't know it, it its official name is the Dredagsa Brugge de Pana, which is now a men's one-day race. But Dredagsa basically means uh, three days. It used to be called the Three Days of Depana. Well, it, it, sorry, it, it still is called the Three Days of Depana. It used to be run over three days. It's now just one day. And it's a brilliant classic one day race, which is in the uh, the west of Belgium, um, alongside the the sand dunes and the coastline around uh, Coxeda, which is where the Coxeda uh, Cross is held every year. So very open, exposed, usually very windy, sandy coastal conditions. And uh, in this uh, particular edition in 2020, it was blowing a right old gale, so much so that Matthew van der Poel was actually blown clean off his bike and into a dike alongside the road. So if you've not seen it yet, watch it. I was commentating on it with uh, Magnus Backstead and we were we were, we were were actually, well, gosh, I was about to say we were blown away, but we were blown away. <laughs> it was a brilliant, brilliant day's racing. Anyway, uh, let me talk you through the first example. What I'm going to do is I'm actually going to watch them live on, uh, on you, uh, YouTube with you while I talk you through... Uh, who I think is in that X marks the sweet spot. So the first clip I'm looking at is actually with about 60k to go. There's been a big, big whittling down of the bunch, um, and in in that what we by this stage what we have effectively is a leading group of about 25, 30 riders. Um, there are two or three from Lotto Sudal as it was then, and three or four from Dukernik Quickstep. Surprise, surprise. Bert van Leerberger is on the front, uh, doing a long turn. And tucking in behind him, one of the, the, the cleverest riders in the bunch, I think, Matteo Trentin, who at that stage was riding for CCC, still at the end of last year. Seems like an awfully long time ago now. Um, I'm just going to bring up on my phone, here we go, the start list, so I don't get anyone's name wrong along the way. Classic commentary. Um, so as I say, at this point, the bunch is still very much uh, all together. I'm just going to press play and talk you through it. Matthew van der Poel, surprise, surprise, happy to come through and do a long turn on the front. He does have in the breakaway with him, though, and I'm going to talk in the present tense as I look at it, two teammates, um, Alexander Krieger, the German sprinter as well. And at this point, everyone rolling through nice and neatly. However, it's only the front half of this leading group who are really rolling through. There is a second half of this group who are not rolling through and who are pushing through the last of those who's working. Now, the last of those who's working is the German uh, sprinter ruler Max Weibscheid. Um, and just behind him is Christophe Laporte. Now, Christophe Laporte is the Cofidis rider. He's also a very canny and clever rider. What he's doing is every time he gets close to the back end of the two rotating lines in the group, he tack, taps um, Weibscheid on the bottom and effectively just pushes him through so that he can sit on the back of that group again. That will only work a few times, but he has got himself into that leading group sweet spot there where until he's screamed at, shouted at, or deliberately dropped from the group, which does happen, he is sitting in that bunch sweet spot. Of course, he's got 
two or three other riders on his wheel. So arguably, if you go by what I've uh, expressed to you and what I'm saying, it's really not him that's in that sweet spot. It's the riders who are just off the back of that. One of those actually is Connor Swift, the Yorkshireman sitting just two or three back from from uh, from where the, uh, the back of the two working lines are. So kind of two different options there with the sweet spot to protect themselves from the wind. I should point out though, by the way, that as I watch this clip as it's happening, they're again bunching up into an echelon. So the echelon, for those of you who maybe we haven't really covered echelons in this racing tactic series, but the leading rider pushes to the far side of the road where the wind is coming from, and then the others filter uh, backwards from them diagonally across the road in order to get some shelter from the wind. In an echelon like that, and I'm watching it now as it's forming with uh, just about 60k to go, um, riders rotate around the front of that diagonal line and push hard over. So the wind at this stage, as I watch it, is coming from the right. Alexander Kristoff going through on the front of the peloton as I'm watching it. Um, there is a sweet spot in an echelon, even of that size, and it's sitting in between the back end of the two lines. So in other words, the front and the back line of the echelon rotate around you and you sit in the middle of it. So the rider who sits in the middle there, it's a very difficult thing to do. In a way, you need to try and make yourself look busy and possibly make it look as if you're trying to push up into that front row of the rotating echelon, but you kind of don't quite make it. The others will rotate behind you because they've dropped down and they're looking to try and move up into the front edge of that echelon. The protected riders and that perfect sweet spot in an echelon like that is to be about two thirds down, but sandwiched between the two lines, if you like, that are rotating like a kind of conveyor belt bend, a band around you. Anyway, I'll move on to the next clip because the next clip is much deeper into the race. It's about 50k to go. Um, this, let me play it now. Um, this is where the riders start to try and use some of the strength in numbers on the front to split things up. And as I look at look at it, um, there's uh, two or three of, uh, yeah, there's, there's sorry, <laughs> just catching up. One of the EF uh, education first, it was then riders, uh, is on the front. I don't remember who that is in that group. Um, and, and the echelon has now just literally switched off because they've turned off the main road where the wind was pushing hard from the right. And having done so, there's kind of a bunching up. Riders are then looking at each other to come through. Hugo Hofstetter is the Israel um, Cycling Academy rider, I think it was called then. I've got to remind myself, it's Israel's startup nation now, isn't it, coming through. And riders starting to look at each other and others being nudged and forced to come through as well at the same time. Again, right on the back of those first six or seven who are going through are those who are waiting, playing the waiting game and uh, Waiting was our W, of course, in this series. And finding the first position in which they're not being expected to work at this point. Let me move on a little bit further. OK, we're going to take you. I'm going to take you to 24K to go. Now, by this stage, that leading group is now whittled down to about 12 riders. Um, they're also coming a little bit closer with one lap to go onto the finishing circuit and closer to the coastline as well. The rider on the front is Kasper Askring, the Danish national champion, as he was at that point. And in there as well, Tim de Klerk, Yves Lampert, two of his teammates, of course. Now, by this stage, Yves Lampert, who, spoiler alert, goes on to win this race, is now starting to sit in at the back. He hasn't come through to do any turns. There's also uh, John Degenkolb in there, who is a dangerous sprinter. So any of the riders in this group know they don't want to be taking John Degenkolb to the finish. Uh, at this stage, by the way, Matthew van der Poel is still in there as well. So maybe another rider you wouldn't want to necessarily take to the finish. It's shortly after this point. It's around about the 18k mark. He gets fully blown off the road and into a dike. Uh, thankfully, he was all right after that. Um, 
yes, once again, even in a group of this size, what is it, 15 riders, there's still a little bubble about two thirds down who aren't going through. Being the first of those who's not going through is a bad place to be because you're going to be shouted at and pushed all the time as well as making a bad name for yourself in the group. But again, it is Matteo Trenti and the Italian rider who's just floating and finding the back wheel of the first person who's not going through. Clever. But then Matteo Trentin is an incredibly clever rider, always worth watching. And uh, it's no surprise that he's very, very capable of looking after himself in these kind of finishes. So moving on now uh, to, what is it, 20k to go. Um, what I'm now looking at is a clip of the riders as they come along a stretch in Demuren, which is basically going back inland, having come through the finish for that last time. Um, the wind at this point is absolutely hammering from the left-hand side. They're making their way alongside, a, a, uh, sorry, from the right-hand side. So they're actually being pushed to the left. The group has now, interestingly enough, become so small that they aren't forming echelons. Reason being, now most of the riders left in here are in fact their, their leader or their protected rider for the race. So they haven't got a teammate that would suddenly drive hard right to form an echelon. However, as the riders swing off the front of the group, they are swinging right and pushing themselves out a little bit, and in doing so, giving a bit of shelter to those on the left. But the formation of an echelon this late in the race, where you have mostly a leading group of riders who are all now aiming to try and get the best result out of it, is very, very hard. As a result, all the way down this group, big gaps opening up where um, individual riders cannot hold the wheel. The first of those to do that is Hugo Hofstetter, who um, has dripped off the back now at this stage, because to hold the wheel when you're all pushed hard left up against what is basically a grass verge is so, so hard to do. Um, by this point, there seemingly isn't a sweet spot, but actually there is, because as you look at it, the riders have been forced as they turn back into the wind to again try to form something of an echelon. There's two lines in the echelon and there is a thin film of one or two riders sandwiching themselves between them. And I'll mention that point again, it's a wonderful sweet spot within a small moving group that's forced to form an echelon into a strong wind like this, because once you're in there between those two lines, you are effectively stuck. Um, the rider I can see doing it is one of the Bora riders, and I think that's Jempi Drucker. Yes, it is. Big, tall, broad guy. Um, Luxembourger, of course, Jempi Drucker. And he has got himself into that position as I watch it, of being sandwiched between Stefan Kung and um, uh, Tim de Klerk who are rotating front and back of that nicely moving echelon. He can effectively just sit there. It's so much concentration involved in, in forming the front and back of that echelon that he's effectively in the middle. So clever riding by Jempi Drucker, who did enough to save himself because in the end he came fifth in the race. So I'll pause that one there and I'm going to take myself a little bit further in to 9k to go. Now by this point we're down to 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 riders left. Interestingly enough, three of them are the Koenig Quickstep riders. Yves Lampert, Tim de Klerk, and the third one was Bert van Leerberger, the Belgian rider. This was a, an incredible point of the race because um, Tim Merlier, who at this stage was still kind of making his way up the higher echelons of sprinting, is in that leading group, uh, the Alpes and Fenix rider, and he has one teammate coming across, Jonas Reichardt, um, who is just about to get on at about the nine kilometre mark, making his way across to try and help Tim Merlier. And I'll talk you through it. Jonas Reichardt is just attaching himself onto the back end. Now, this is the point at which they're, they're heading back again towards the coast. So they're effectively riding into a headwind, um, which has slowed things down in that leading group, allowing Jonas Reichardt to make his way back on. 
the Belgian rider for Alpes and Fenix, is on. So as I look at them now at this group, Yves Lampert has swung out. He is, and this is in hindsight I'm saying this, but he is the protected rider at this stage for De Koenig Quickstep. And again, he's actually swung out from near the front end of the group in order to drop down and find um, Bert van Leerberger's wheel. Uh, Tim de Klerk, surprise, surprise, is doing an awful lot of turns at the front, which is generally what he does for de Koenig Quickstep. It's what he's employed for. At the point at which we're watching them, they're actually riding in between the sand dunes of Coxeda, which is um, the place where arguably the greatest cross race of the season happens every year. And those of you who've watched it will recognise it. And as I watch it, Yves Lampart now has moved from his sweet spot back to the front and is pushing it on these little descents off the back of the sand dunes that come back in towards the finish. Little testers looking to see who's going to close things down. And the rider that has closed things down is Matteo Trentin, having saved himself and being clever earlier in the race. What I'll now do is take you to uh, the very much closing stages and we'll see how Yves Lampart managed to work this one because he'd been incredibly clever up until this point, finding those little pockets all the way through. The run into the finish at uh, Dupana it comes basically alongside a tram line, which has a long straight road either side. Again, it's into a headwind. So it's a point at which a strong rider, anyone who attacks into a headwind like that, is going to have to make it work and make the others suffer to chase them down. I'm watching it right now. The point at which um, Yves Lampert has really shown himself at the front for the first time, and he still has Matteo Trentin on his wheel. Yves Lampert then does something really clever. And for those of you who've enjoyed this tactic series and are really into it, um, do find the Eurosport GCN video on uh, on YouTube or on the GCN app or Eurosport player and find your way to 7k to go. They're going alongside uh, a tram line and Yves Lampert does quite a long turn on the front with Matteo Trentin on, on his wheel and then swings off and he does that thing that we've talked about earlier in the tactics series of looking back at the group and then looking like he's actually swinging off the front but in doing so he uses the P tactic we discussed earlier of pressing on. Literally, Trentin does not want to come through because he's working too hard on the wheel of Yves Lampert anyway. Yves Lampert swings off, flicks his arm and then moves out wide. But as soon as he moves out wide, he just starts pressing on. And just as we talked about in the pressing on tactic, it doesn't get out the saddle. It doesn't make it look like an attack. He just presses a little bit more on the pedals. And as he goes, as I watch it, that's it. Of course, he has two teammates behind in Leerberger and de Klerk. And they do nothing at all. After that point, they can find their own sweet spot in the back of that group. Surprise, surprise. Um, Tim de Klerk then took second anyway by clipping off himself. Perfect day out for de Koenig Quickstep. And surprise, surprise, again, the team who, uh, on any terrain, including in the Grand Tours, when it comes to the crosswinds and the big wins, uh, this team absolutely know how to sell it every single time. It's a great race. If you've not watched it, then do watch it. Just to wrap things up, folks, I hope you've enjoyed me kind of talking you through stuff. Um, go and watch it for yourself and it'll make an awful lot more sense. However, be aware, this is what I say, is that in any, any single group, uh, including group rides, including your local cafe ride with your mates, there'll always be a sweet spot, somewhere where to recap, somewhere where you are out of the wind, not being expected to come through and do any work, but ready to respond. Mm -hmm.